Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Rethink, a show where we revisit past articles from the University of Malta's Think magazine, looking at the pioneering work being done at the university. We catch up with the researchers to show how far they have come since they've appeared in the magazine. My name is Chris, and this time my co-host is Claude Bayarda, the author of the article that we're going to discuss. Thank you, Chris. Today, our guest is Perit Alexia Mercia. I interviewed her back in 2015. Alexia, can you give us a brief update on what's going on now? Hi. Well, it's been a while. It's been four years. Back then, I had just started, so it was early days. Now, four years on on this part-time PhD, which is more of a journey than anything else. It has developed and it has come a long way, I like to think. And now we're taking it even further. So, Alexia... In the interview, in the original interview, we, uh-huh. we mainly spoke about what, what you plan to do and uh, what you're going to achieve and, and the whole idea and vision. But what are the nuts and bolts of the process? How does one go about researching dementia-friendly design? Because there's not just architecture and there's just psychology. There's, there must be such a wide field. How do you do it? In fact, that's one of the issues when being an architect, so having a very specific background, which many a times is science-based, and then exposing yourself to the world of, well, there's a lot of medicine which comes into it as well. So I had to do a lot of background, read, well, not background, starting from scratch. So in fact, when you look at the whole gist and the whole the scope, obviously starts to shift when you start realizing just the volume of what you have to get through and what you want, really want your PhD to do. You know, you always start with it being really ambitious and having a really wide scope. And then you suddenly start realizing, okay, wait, how am I going to manage this and where and how? So in some cases it's grown and in some other areas it's possibly become more, fo- well, definitely become more focused. Can you tell us a bit where you had to narrow it down? So where I had to narrow it down, I was originally talking about looking at guidelines. But instead, now I'm looking at, okay, but what really works? And then after actually being to places that host people with dementia, so I'm looking at a care environments mostly, I started realizing that there is something essentially different in different places in different areas. So I spent a lot of time in the UK spending time with people with dementia. And then I started realizing that it's not just a matter of getting their regulations and applying them, but people in different areas need different spaces. So in the way it grew then, it became more of a cross-cultural study. So I'm looking at people in dementia care environments in different environments. And I've done it so far across three continents because I just finished my primary data collection where basically I looked at people in the UK and Japan. So I worked in Tokyo and also in Australia, so I worked in Sydney. So the aim is we have the same basic standards for dementia, but then you see how in different areas they have to be very specific to those people because it's not just about having a room which works, but it has to be culturally appropriate, and that makes a huge difference. So I'm actually quite interested in both the similarities and the differences. So perhaps we can start with the similarities across culture. You know, what is that to take an arbitrary letter X factor? Going outside. I've actually adapted part of the scope. I mean, the main drive is getting people out, which was one of the issues I kept finding over and over again here, that no matter how well the space is designed, if people aren't encouraged to go out through the design, so the outdoor space isn't designed appropriately to let them go out, their well-being isn't improving tremendously. So going out is essential, especially going back to culture when you look at the Maltese, where you would have had people who for most of their life were accustomed to going outside really easily. I mean, we're people who live outside also because of our weather. So the fact that then suddenly I have dementia and the doors are all closed and I'm closed up in a specific place, 
I feel that no matter how well it could be designed, the fact that you don't have the facility to go outside is affecting you. I mean, it would affect anyone. And that's mm. the beauty of it. It would affect anyone. If I were to be closed up in a fixed couple of rooms, I don't know how I would behave and I wouldn't dare to think, let alone someone who can't control that. So it makes a huge difference. So the main drive is being able to go out. So we have this as a sort of common uh, yes. theme across all yeah. cultures. Mm-hmm. And now could you perhaps elaborate on a couple of things that you noticed specifically in Malta that are different, that, uh, that are national quirks? Well, one of the biggest things which really works here, especially in places where they have included it, is, for example, religion. Mm-hmm. When we have religious artifacts or times of day when, say, it's time to say the rosary okay. or it's time lunchtime, you'd have a specific typology of prayer, which we use at lunchtime. Um, it helps them mark the day and it helps them know where to be at that time. So that really helps because the people with dementia, you know, we usually have issues of not being able to stay day and night. So usually mealtimes help, but in Malta I found that even prayers at specific times actually break the afternoon and guide them to know the time of day, which in other cultures don't always happen. And we need to remember we're not even looking at current culture, right? We're looking at culture exactly. of about 50 years ago. Exactly. So this is something which we usually look at 30 to 50 years ago because that's when their memories would be most vivid. Although then again, you do find that people would usually have a return to religion, especially females, because that's something interesting, which in Malta we still have in some places where we still have this gender differences. So for example, in any of the other care environments I've been, you always have men and women mixed which is standard and normal. Mm-hmm. Um, here we still have care environments which separate men and women. So it's really interesting where then you'd have these gender differences in different environments where, for example, the religious factor would be even stronger in a women's ward because unfortunately we still refer to them as wards. Branching off that sentence, I'm assuming your PhD always had a certain element of implementation, right? Mm-hmm. Your initial aim was to provide a set of guidelines. Does your PhD still have that implementation focus and, and how well are you seeing it or how difficult do you envisage it being to implement the things that you're finding in your studies to the local setting? I'm not envisaging that by the end of it, the result would actually be guidelines. Possibly that would be postdoc. Your article appeared in December 2015, the 15th issue of Think. Let's hear it. I Want to Go Home by Claude Bayada. The government in January 2014 published an evidence-based national strategy for dementia which recommended that all buildings should be designed in a dementia-friendly way. Dr Claude Bayada speaks to Perit Alexia Machia and Dr Charles Sherry to find out more. Dementia is not a single disease. It is a word used to describe a group of neurodegenerative diseases that cause global cognitive impairment. Many people think of dementia as a disease that causes memory loss. But memory is not the only brain function that is affected in dementia. In fact, in some types of early dementia, memory is usually spared. People with dementia often have problems with thinking, planning, social skills and language. As it progresses, it causes problems in the person's everyday life. What day is it? He cannot remember. It is awfully cold and rainy for summer. He cannot remember his brother's name. He is his closest friend. Each day is new and scary. It makes me sad. It makes him sad. Why does everyone want to take me to new places? He wants to stay at home. It is familiar and comfortable. He has dementia. This is not a normal part of aging, but it is a neurodegenerative disease. 
a progressive condition that affects the brain, slowly damaging it from within. Memory loss is part of the condition that is dementia, but it is not the only symptom. People with dementia have problems with planning and organisation. They become confused when taken out of their usual surroundings and find it difficult to control their emotions. It is a disease that can affect different aspects of the brain function and is incurable. Incurable does not mean untreatable. If doctors catch dementia at an early stage, medicine can slow its progression. But even with the best medicine, disease progression is inevitable. How can our society ensure that a person with dementia can experience a good quality of life? Architect Alexia Machia, a researcher in the Faculty for the Built Environment at the University of Malta, studies how buildings can help people with dementia. Doing this requires a shift in the way we design and build structures. The typical care space in Malta is a corridor with rooms double banked on both sides, and a person can walk up and down along it. It is a bit like a hamster in a wheel going round in circles, explains Machia. Places should be familiar and safe, where people with dementia can feel at home. This means understanding what the issues are and catering for them. One of the biggest issues is wandering. We tend to think of this as misbehaving, but wandering is essential for a person with dementia. So how can spaces be designed to actually allow those with dementia to wander safely? How can all the necessary safety features be integrated and camouflaged within a building, while still keeping it as close to home as possible? In the 1998 film The Truman Show, Truman Burbank, played by Jim Carrey, lives in a made-up reality. Unknowingly, Burbank is the star of a reality TV program in which his entire life is filmed by thousands of cameras. All the characters in his life are actors, and even though he does not know it, he is leading a sheltered life, controlled by others. The audience sympathises with Burbank as he tries to break free from his manufactured life, but Carrie portrays a healthy middle-aged man who is in full possession of his cognitive functions. Now, what if we had to imagine that his character had dementia? Would a sheltered environment be therapeutic for him? Machia explains that the Netherlands have been experimenting with a similar concept for people with dementia. Just outside of Amsterdam, a specialised nursing home caters for 152 patients with dementia. This is a specialty nursing home that includes a fully functioning village. There is a park, a supermarket, a restaurant, bar and a theatre. The only difference from other villages is that the members of staff are also the patient's carers. It is a sheltered environment that looks and feels like a village, but is in fact a care facility. Machia is excited to implement such a project in Malta. The first step is to provide a solid evidence base to support the idea. As part of her PhD at the University of Edinburgh, she is studying the situation in the UK and in Malta. She is also investigating what was done elsewhere and is working to adapt best practice techniques to the local scenario, taking cultural shifts into consideration. The aim of the PhD is to produce a set of guidelines to regulate dementia design in Malta. This fulfills one of the recommendations of the national strategy. Machia is ardent to underline that the research shows there is less violence, less aggressiveness, less need for tranquilizers, and less medication in adequately designed dementia-friendly accommodation. The government is backing Machia's project. In a statement to Think, Parliamentary Secretary for the Rights for Persons with Disabilities and Active Aging, Justine Kuwana, said that Machia's work would have a huge and positive impact especially on individuals with dementia and those who care for them. Dementia-friendly environments are essential in creating dementia-friendly communities where individuals and their caregivers are empowered to their aspirations and feel confident, knowing they can contribute to their communities, have more choice and control decisions that affect their lives. This would be a great benefit to society in general and a cornerstone in eliminating stigma. 
She stated that when new buildings are designed, they will take this approach from the very start, taking into consideration the guidelines developed by Machia and her research. But Machia does not want to wait to complete her PhD to make a difference. She wants her students to design a dementia-friendly space right away. She even approached Parliamentary Secretary Kuwana, who immediately welcomed her idea. They were really excited about it and took it on. They gave us a garden at St. Vincent de Paul residence as a case study, notes Machia enthusiastically. One of the students' proposals was a reinterpretation of a typical Maltese village, bringing together traditional elements in a contemporary setting that aims to provide a familiar environment and is, most importantly, safe. In this space, you would have a hairdresser, a little grocery shop, a post office. There are structures that allow the residents to perform simple activities, but which are rituals, which are very important. The co-founder of the Malta Dementia Society, Dr Charles Sherry, is excited about these developments. Alexia is a godsend, says Sherry, while lamenting that Malta's main problem is human resources. Despite this, he explains that Malta has made tremendous advances in the field of dementia care. Ten years ago, things were bleak. Families would try to hide the condition from society. Now, Malta is one of the few countries that has evidence-based national dementia strategy. The strategy even has a dementia-friendly version. We made it different, exclaims Sherry. Now Malta must take up the challenge to go one step further to support cross-disciplinary research into dementia care and create evidence-based, dementia-friendly environments. It will happen within the next five years, says Sherry. What day is it? He cannot remember. It is still cold outside, but he is not sad. He lives in a new residence that's just opened. This is a dementia-friendly residence. The carers are his friends. He's about to go into the garden with them. He can also go to the little grocery shop. The oranges are spectacular. At the end of the day, he goes to bed. He likes his room. He is safe. He is home. If you or someone you know is affected by dementia and you need more information, please call the Dementia Helpline on 1771, the Dementia Activity Centre on 2122-4461, or the Dementia Memory Clinic on 2208-2000. Or visit Malta Dementia Society at www.maltadementiasociety.org.mt. So what are the other like most common kind of issues that you see in hospitals? Is it just that they're kind of locked away and kind of out of sight, out of mind sort of thing? And how does that implication have on our perception of like people with mental health issues and that sort of thing? In most of the spaces I worked in, they're moving towards a smaller group of people and they're more home environments. So, for example, we're not calling them wards. Like I said before, we're not calling them hospitals anymore, but homes or care environments, which is helping a lot with the dignity of the person and the carers, because it's not just the person with dementia we're looking at. It's a really broad spectrum because there's always two or three carers who, who take care of the person anyway, even family who comes in and out. So you usually have smaller settings which are very similar to homes, mm-hmm. like as one would have in their own house, and set around the heart, which would be a kitchen, a living area. So you, you allow them to keep performing the activities of daily living which they're accustomed to. One of the most important things I constantly harp about is apart from the fact that you need the right finishes and we need the right setting, but that the people with dementia and people with mental health issues in general are given things to do, that the environment provides the right affordances for them to engage. So they're still part of a community, still part of society, not locked away and just sort Mm. of... Well, with with dementia, at times it becomes their own little society, Mm -hmm. their own little group. 
but at least it's not confined to I have a bedroom, I have a larger room, which is a hall maybe, and that's it. But they have outdoor space, they have different functions. And filling the space, so to allow objects in architecture, we call it positive affordances. So, for example, which objects can I include to allow them to start a conversation, to engage? Something really basic like making a cup of tea, which means a lot. For example, in my UK observations, the cup of tea is the... Like that if anyone right. is, yeah. yeah, if anyone, even if you have a person who looks upset or who is, who you realize, for example, would have spent a long time walking, let's have a cup of tea. And that usually solves absolutely everything. And that's one of the really major things which kept popping up. And in some cases where you know that the person is still able to do it on their own, then why not? If the environment is designed well enough, if the kitchen is designed well enough to allow that person to get up and make their own cup of tea, that's a really big deal for them. It could be the most important part of their day. So why not design appropriately to allow them to do that? One problem I think we perhaps have in Malta is... uh Perhaps a lack of human resources. Very often I find that uh, we'd have specialists for pretty much most things that you can think of, but maybe not enough. Or especially at the level of specialization you're at, how many perhaps architects would be interested in dementia-friendly design? Or And do you see this as an obstacle, a real obstacle? Or could this be easily adopted, all these techniques be easily adopted without too much expertise? Well, it depends at which level. Like, for example, I'm I'm impressed that every time I go into these environments, you always get, even just the care stuff, you always get more and more people who are interested in it and who want to try and make a difference. Sometimes, I mean, we tend to be reluctant to change, especially in the workplace, you know, but why would I change the way we do something if mm. we've been doing it for so long? But there are people who are trying to make a difference even just the smallest differences. So there's already a drive. There's also much more awareness on dementia. With regards to professionals from an architecture point of view, it is picking up. I've introduced this to students in the past four years, and we now have a credit, which we call Realities in Architecture, which happens at our master's level in architecture. So whoever takes a master's in architecture with us takes this credit because it's compulsory. And we're basically introducing them to mental health, dementia, and vulnerable groups in general. So we've had input from the Department of Disability Studies. We have people coming in to speak about mental health. We've had psychiatrists. Because every year we give the students real projects and we work with real institutions. So, for example, we've worked with Mount Carmel, we've worked with St. Vincent de Paul, depending on the needs. So they're usually real projects to give the students. Even just to be aware, to me, is a big deal. Coming to the bottom line, how costly is it to implement these projects, um, to have dementia-friendly spaces? Would you see that cost would be a, a major impediment for implementation? No, definitely. The issue is, again, like I said before, I find it's a reluctance to do things differently. Because cost-wise, it is not huge. I have been part of a couple of smaller projects here where you get private investment to try and create a different type of dementia care environment. And it's not extensively different. I think that's a super important message because people, especially perhaps in the private sector or people who aren't aware of this, might assume that no, such... No, we have had cases because they, they tend... Um, no, because everything that once you touch dementia, it becomes expensive. I don't think so. If you look at the basics and figure out how to work around them in the sense of 
possibly I'm not going to get a patented item that actually says dementia friendly because it comes out of a factory which is producing specific dementia. But I can find the next best thing, which is still doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. So it's about being smart in your choices. And ultimately, it's about any design process. Hey, if, if you're smart about the, the items you pick to manage the budget, I don't think it should be a problem. But from experience so far, it's manageable. Is there any lessons that we've learned from your research into making residential homes more dementia friendly that we could take into the wider world that businesses could adopt, that perhaps a university could adopt some logistics that just make kind of the outside world a little bit more friendly to people with dementia? Yes, in fact, we look at how do you make the immediate environment more friendly to anyone with a mental health problem because we don't just deal with dementia. For example, last year we had our first master's dissertation which looked at spaces for people with autism. So we look at the whole spectrum and from a design point of view, try to apply improving design basically to create what we refer to as an enabling environment. Because, okay, we speak about a person has a disability, but the environment itself can increase or reduce that disability. So simplifying it to suit the individual helps. In general, there aren't specific things which I'd say uh, that works for so-and-so and that works for that. But in general, if the environment is more legible, Mm-hmm. As an architecture, we speak about legibility and being able to understand what's around you. So, for example, mm-hmm. being able to understand my place in the larger context. Where the you value. are in that 3D space. Exactly. So designing in a way that the person always knows where they are in a 3D space because we know that with different mental health conditions, that becomes a real issue where I don't know where I am or I can't tell the time of day. Mm-hmm. can't relate where I panic or I'm uncomfortable if I don't know what the weather is like, for example. So a good connection with the outdoors, the value of green open mm-hmm. spaces is massive. So that's what on my own as an advocate, I'm constantly trying to promote. Let's get people outside because we have the right weather. And it's quite frustrating when I spend time in the UK and I'm in a care environment where people are outside no matter what. And then here we have the good weather and we still stay inside. When we know, I mean, it's scientifically proven. It's been years now. We know it's beneficial to go outside and even more so. Let's get outside. Let's get get kids in touch with green spaces, natural spaces. Speaking of kids, where do the families of these people who perhaps have fairly end-stage dementia or or fairly severe dementia and and are are living in a care environment, how are the, the families involved in the whole space and the whole dynamic of the whole thing well from my experience even with my own kids when they had to visit relatives they don't generally like these spaces so making the spaces i remember arguing with michael do i have to go and visit again like it's so boring Mm -hmm. there's nothing to do but if it's generally a nicer space if it's an environment which is more welcoming if you're giving for example something for the kids to do you're going to actually increase the amount of hours that visitors spend in these spaces which automatically is improving the well-being of the users and also helping the staff yeah and especially kids especially young kids right they exactly they brighten up every room exactly <laughs> like when i remember going to visit with my kids they i have two kids under 5 the topic of discussion it's not anymore, ah, it's a nice day today. And what are we going to eat for lunch? They're talking about the kids. So there are good conversations starting unless they're there and they have a, they're in a mood. <laughs> yeah, but, but even then, right? Even then, there's, a, there's, but there's always, always a, something to talk uh, about. There's, there's always, always something different. And mm-hmm. then there's reminiscing when it comes to the kids, which helps a lot, even with people with dementia. So it helps. I mean, then there are some end case stages where it's not ideal to have the kids, but... 
in uh, general, moderate cases, it's always... Yeah, okay. of course. Uh, we have to remember when we're talking about people with dementia, this is a whole spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. There's people in the very early stages exactly. when, when it's barely even But that's why it really helps right? to be in smaller units and not in huge wards. Mm-hmm. Because you can group up the people with similar behaviors, so the environment is designed around them. And generally, if you have someone who is in a more moderate stage and has more acute behavior... From research, we know that that would affect people at a more moderate stage. So ideally, grouping up people with similar behaviors helps them as well. Now, bringing things back down to your PhD Mm -hmm. and your experience in your PhD, what Mm -hmm. would you say is sort of the toughest thing, the thing that you don't realize when you're going into a PhD that it's going to be a challenge? So the most challenging thing in your PhD on on a day to day. (laughs) Ethics. uh, Uh-huh. Ethics approvals, definitely. <laughs> that was like, I remember when I was starting out, my supervisors, like in the very first meeting, were like, ethics, ethics, like you have to make sure you get all your approvals. And I was like, come on. But I think all in all, if I had to quantify that, it took me a good year to get approvals for all the different places. I mean, not constant, but to get approvals and all the letters I had to write and all the consent forms, especially because since you're dealing with vulnerable groups, obviously consent becomes really complicated and ethics becomes really complicated. So I had lots of support from my supervisors, the University of Edinburgh structure, brilliant. But then each each entity I worked with had its own additional ethics and you're nodding because you obviously probably have been through something very similar. So I think that was the largest milestone. Was there any particular area or place that caused the most sort of friction? Was there some residential homes that didn't want you prying around or certain family members that didn't really want their relatives used as sort of like guinea pigs or anything Mm -hmm. like that? Was there any sort of like friction there? Yes. In fact, at the beginning, I was planning to stay within Europe, but it was complicated because not everyone is allowing you in. When I was considering Japan, it was even more complicated. It's also a cultural issue. Why would we want an outsider? Mm -hmm. There was the issue. She doesn't look like us. So she's the people are going to notice her. The residents are going to notice her right away. is going to stick out. Eventually, I did find care homes that were willing to be part of it also because they're connected to research. In general, they would be care homes that themselves follow a research model and are constantly updating themselves. Same with the carers. But again, there is much more awareness now. So you see that they want to help and they want to give back to research. Has the outlook on mental health and dementia, has that changed culturally, do you think, since you started your PhD? Are we more sensitive to those areas or are we going in the right direction we are but possibly at a very slow pace Mm. definitely in the right direction but it's still extremely slow so we need to have people with mental health problems in the community and not separating them so we do have some brilliant organizations foundations locally who are pushing for this as well to try and get people out of the large so they're institutions not and they're back with, they're back in the community yeah, they're people. living in houses with, i mean why not it's obvious and so perhaps to sum up what's next i'm currently in the final stage of final data collection here so it's the easier part because the, the all the traveling passed although that was a good part of it too and then head banging with all the data i have collected <laughs> to try and write it all out and make sense of the results i mean it's an interesting one because you're looking at the way people behave i generally do naturalistic observations So translating the way people behave and react to their environment into drawings, ultimately the result is going to be design-based. So the result is going to include lots of drawings and understanding basic things like proxemics and like how close I am to different little spaces in my environment and how valuable they are. Thank you very much, Alexia. Thank you. That was all from our Rethink for today. Tell us what you think about this episode by commenting at ThinkUM on Facebook, ThinkUniMalta on Twitter, 
or Think Uni on Instagram. Rethink is produced by Think Magazine in collaboration with Campus FM. Our theme music is by Princess Wonderful. You can find a link to her profile in the show notes. The show's producer is Diva Repishkaita. I'm your host, Chris Stiles, together with Dr. Claude Bayada. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and bye for now.